Hello, and welcome to the Brutal Iron Gym Podcast, where our goal is to cut through the BS and deliver the brutal truth about topics related to health and happiness. Today's podcast number 1,945. The topic is training, and the title is How Exercise Technique Impacts Training Program. Okay, so recently I had a consultation with somebody. They wanted to know how to better program for... Uh, strength, but including athleticism, how they can do that when they have, you know, four workouts a week of, say, an hour, hour and a half, versus how they can also do that when they have maybe only two or three workouts a week at like 30 to 45 minutes. (laughs) So they have a little bit of openness in their schedule at the moment, but they will not have openness in their schedule in a couple months. So they wanted to make great progress in these next few months leading into whenever their schedule is going to be more tight, but they wanted to know how to modify typical strength-based programming for when they only have maybe three workouts of 30 to 40 minutes a week available. So in our initial consultation, one of the things I asked them to do was to send me videos of their lifts so I could better personalize their programming. In the programming that I sent to them, I sent them a template for the workout, which is basically kind of the, the the bones, the structure of how the workouts would go. I then gave example workouts with specific exercise selection based on how they specifically, individually, them, they themselves move in their main lifts. So that's what today's podcast is going to be. I want to talk about the review that I gave them on their main lifts and how that impacted the programming. Now, overall, the template with the example workouts I sent them is 28 pages of information. I know that's, it sounds like a lot, but there's uh, like just explaining the, the structure of the template, explaining things like, you know, what are circuits and supersets? How long should you rest between working sets? How do you select the right weight? So a lot of it is basic information that I would send to any of my clients, but it, it adds to the bulk of the program. So it sounds like a lot. Uh, which is actually kind of funny because if somebody's paying you for a template and example workouts and you send 28 pages of information, that sounds amazing, but it can also sound really overwhelming. (laughs) So it's trying to find that sweet spot of giving them what they feel like they've paid for and a little more versus giving them so much information that it's overwhelming. Uh, The back half of the template since they are a powerlifter, they don't want to do exclusive powerlifting training. They would just like to do strength with some athleticism. But since they've competed in powerlifting before, since they've an interest in powerlifting, I included some basic powerlifting-related information on like weight classes. What are the different classifications that you can have? Um, how do you, you know, change the programming to get ready for a powerlifting meet? How would you eat on the day of the meet? All those kind of components. So that's all included as well as how to like. Uh, self-treat tight muscles, any kind of aches and pains they might have, what they can look for to see what could be contributing to that. So a lot of good information. And um, in their videos, when they sent me the videos, I I watched them. They sent them to me on Instagram. And then I watched them and gave them uh, the following feedback that I'd like to kind of read through. So for their squats, I said their overall technique is great. They have a narrow stance, meaning their feet are just outside of their hip width. Uh, it's a female, so the shoulder width isn't going to be extremely wide. Uh, so their, their feet are about shoulder width, which is technically around hip width. Um, but it's a very narrow stance compared to 
other people, which can have like a medium stance or even an, an ultra wide stance. So she has a narrow stance and therefore it would help her to wear Olympic lifting shoes, which she does, and have a low bar position, which she does. So she did that very well. Her core bracing is excellent and her head placement, her head angle, she does squat with like her chin up, which I'm not usually a big fan of, but it doesn't cause her to arch her lower back. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So she's doing well. I'm going to leave that alone. And what I told her was, is given the specific way in which she moves in her squats, she's going to need to focus on lower quadricep strength and upper hamstring strength. So the quadriceps down by the knees, if her knees are not super strong, that's going to limit her ability to stand up with as upright of a torso as she can manage. Since she has a narrow stance, since she has a low bar position, her torso is already going to be angled downward. Uh, we don't want that to angle any more downward than we need it to. So if she has weak knees, as she would come out of the bottom of the squat, her knees would travel back to try to get to a uh, perpendicular, like a vertical shin at the expense of allowing her torso to tilt further into the ground. So her hips would shoot back, her torso would tilt more into the ground as her knees would come back. That's a sign, as you're coming out of the bottom of a squat, of weak quadriceps. Uh, so that is something we want to focus on to make sure that doesn't happen. And then she has to have stronger upper hamstrings, the hamstring connection at the hip, so that way they can work to... Um, to stabilize and support as her hips are pushing uh, in, the like contracting back in towards the top of the lift. Now, granted, that's going to be a lot of glutes, but what you're seeing in, in the way that she moves, what I'm seeing is, is the hamstrings are quite exposed. And that shows in her conventional deadlift as well. So she has decent starting strength, but then as the bars pass her knees, there's this lull, there's this weakness that would be associated with the upper hamstring connection as well. So it shows itself a little bit in squats and then confirms that in her conventional uh, deadlifts. So those are gonna be the two areas that I would recommend she focuses on. And therefore, what that means is to target the low quadriceps, we have to pick accessory movements that target the low quadriceps, which would be uh, step-ups, variations of lunges, split squats, and even jump variations. So in her programming, I included those elements. For the upper hamstrings, we want to include things that would help target the upper hamstrings, which are going to be variations of stiff leg deadlifts and Romanian deadlifts. So if we look at her programming, I gave her some example uh, workouts. So let's look at the example uh, squat workout. So if we look at that one, we see that in her, warm her workout, I gave her a movement prep circuit. We do a lunge stretch to work on opening up the hip flexors and upper quadriceps, which I also noted in her feedback that those will be likely to be chronically tight for her. She's going to be using a lot of hip flexor on the descent, so we have to make sure that we always address that in our movement prep to make sure that tissue is warmed up and opened up and ready to go. Then we do a dynamic pigeon pose, which would with a variation called reach throughs, which is really good for uh, kind of opening up the lats and it helps open up the uh, glute muscles. So if she would have any tight glutes that would cause her to drift forward in her bar path on the descent of the squat, that movement prep drill would help open up and address that. And then we have starfish side plank raises uh, from her elbow and foot 
that is specifically very good for a narrow stance squatter to develop external rotational stability that they will need coming out of the bottom of a squat. So that warm-up routine, those three movements, we address tight hip flexors, tight upper quadriceps, tight glutes, tight lats, which might limit her low bar positioning. And we also work on core bracing as well as external rotational stability and, and support. So really good routine there. She's going to do like three rounds of those movements. Then for her squats, I have her pairing with her squat a kettlebell seated chest hold good morning. Now, that is not done to good form failure. It's done to just like a good kind of uh, mind-muscle connection into pushing back as she would upright her, her torso. So again, it's a kettlebell chest hold seated good morning. That mimics the sensation that she's going to need in order to push back into the bar as she's coming out of the bottom of the squat. So during her descent, her torso angles down towards the ground, more so than when she started the squat. So she typical with like a wider stance squat, and especially if somebody has like the right type of anatomy of like femur length and torso length, some people can squat up and down with very minimal angle change in their torso. However, she is not one of those people. She, she will start the squat with a more uprighted torso. By the time she gets down to parallel, her chest will have had to angle down more towards the floor. Uh, that's not, you know, the worst thing in the world. There are people who squatted very well. Uh, there's people who squat over 1,000 pounds with those mechanics. I have other athletes I work with who have elite totals with that type of squat mechanic. You just have to be incredibly strong and diligent about learning how to brace your thoracic spine and ensuring that you're you're losing you're using your glutes and quadriceps down by the knees to really drive that lift and not allowing the lower back to round or loosen to where you have to kind of uh, struggle to contract and pull through the spinal rectors. So I want her to mimic that thoracic tightness and positioning in that kettlebell seated good mornings. So that's going to be a great kind of uh, cueing movement right before she squats. Then for squats, I have her doing pause squats at the moment. Uh, in her videos, she would sometimes drop unnecessarily low below parallel. And that would, she get a stretch reflex, so she's going to think that that's going to help her get a little stronger. But actually, it, it represents an opportunity to where the bar will push her out of position because she has a muscle-like Lacks, like her muscles kind of relax and drop into that position, which therefore is going to make it harder for her to brace and stabilize and position herself correctly against the bar. So at the bottom of the squat, she would be more likely to get pushed forward by the bar. Uh, and it unnecessarily increases her range of motion. It takes the muscles that we need to be strong and contracting through a larger, more exposed range of motion than what's necessary. So I want her to learn how to increasingly uh, well, just increasingly create more external force at, in her knees and her hips as she descends. So that way when she hits parallel, she has a maximal external rotational force through the hips. That's going to create super strong, super stabilized hips. Stop her right at parallel. And then we're in a little bit of a better position to drive up out of the quads uh, at the knee end and to start getting the glutes and upper hamstrings involved. So the pause squats are going to be helpful for her. We're starting out the first week at like a 7 RPE for sets of 3. So she can just focus on positioning. And then the second week still sets of 3, but we go up to an 8 RPE. Then week 3 is going to be sets of 3 at a 9 RPE. Then week 4 is 3 sets of 2 
at a 9 RPE. So I want her to take the first week, to, don't worry too much about the weight, focus on positioning. Second week, worry a little bit more about the weight, but keep her focus on positioning. And then on the third and fourth week, see if she can maintain the position she's been practicing while adding in weight load. And then the accessories. After she does the squats, we have her doing dumbbell RDL pauses. That is specifically to her address her upper hamstring and glute positioning that she will have as she tries to finish the squat. So again, at the bottom of the squat, as she drives up out of the bottom, her body's going to fight to create vertical shin positioning. From that position, her hips are going to be behind her knees, and they will have to hinge in to then get the upper thigh vertical to match the shin vertical, so therefore she's standing up straight. So once her shins are vertical, which is going to happen kind of midish way through the squat, she then is finishing with basically an RDL but the bar on her back. So having her do an RDL with dumbbells with her hands underneath her, it lessens a little bit of the weight load, lessens some spinal stress, lessens some lower back stress, but it still mimics that position that she's going to need to develop the strength in in order to finish her squats. Then we have that paired with dumbbell goblet hold walking lunges. When you goblet hold, when you front hold a weight on walking lunges, you can't lean forward as much. You have to have a more upright torso. That creates the need then for your knees to shoot forward more uh, than what you probably would really like. Uh, Muscularity-wise, it's totally safe, but meaning it's going to be much harder. So her knees are going to have to travel more forward in the walking lunge when it's front loaded than, than hang hold hang hold loaded or upper back loaded so front loading the lunges increases the quadricep involvement down by the knee so we've specifically addressed in our accessories the two weaknesses that we identified in her her videos and then she finishes with 45 degree hyperextensions in a uh, basically a neutral position to where it emphasizes some hamstrings and some glutes so that's going to be her movement uh, to start with, uh, and that's going to be basically her first workout of the week, is we have that, that movement preparation that's specific to squats and her needs for squats. Then we have the chest held good mornings, which is specific to a very challenging mechanical aspect that she's going to need to develop in her squat, is upgrading her torso. Then the accessories of the RDL and the goblet hold walking lunges are to specifically target the positioning weaknesses that she'll have in her squats. And then the 45 degree hyperextensions is good volume to help add more uh, muscle growth uh, and more just total volume into those tissues, but in a very safe kind of low impact way. So it's neat to see, uh, or at least to hear, (laughs) that based on her videos, seeing how she moved, we were able to pick the specific accessories that will address her weaknesses. Now, in the rest of the feedback I gave for squats, I told her about the improving depth awareness and positional control by working on external rotational force uh, in the hips. And then I gave her some extra uh, uh, videos to watch about um, thoracic tightness and learning how to drive back into the bar. Then for her bench press, I gave her uh, some feedback. She had overall really good positioning. She does have a pretty good arch in her bench press. Um, The unfortunate part, though, is due to the arch, her elbows are unnecessarily, like, pulled inward. Something's off, and her hands are too wide, but she has her elbows pulled in. 
So she's benching in kind of what looks like a weird, like Mark Bell used a phrase called a pterodactyl. <laughs> a pterodactyl position. Meaning her upper arms are tucked unnecessarily inward, but her hands are still very wide. This is a couple couple things. Is uh, It's a bummer. Like, these, these are pretty easy to fix. So somebody should have kind of like pointed that out for her um, in the sense that there's something missing. She either wants that hand position, but then has to strengthen her chest muscles so her elbows can stay more flared to match the hand position. So therefore, her accessories would have to be a ton of chest flies, which women might think that's kind of odd to do. It is not. It is extremely necessary, extremely helpful for big, heavy benches. So I have women, uh, like one of my clients, she benches over 200 pounds, uh, and she weighs, I think, like 160-ish. But she has an elite total, benches over 200 pounds, totally flat back bencher. She doesn't have uh, the mobility and body position to have a big arch. So flat back bencher, over 200 pounds, and we do chest flies all the time because the outer pecs are extremely connected to um that position when you have a wide hand position think of jennifer thompson she has a very wide hand position she has to have ridiculously strong since she's benching over 300 pounds ridiculously strong uh chest connectors out into the upper arm bone and that allows her to have that wide hand position but not not uh, like overly require her to tuck her arms inward when you tuck your arms inward you're trying to then use more of your triceps which means your body's afraid to expose the chest muscle which means the chest muscle is too weak so when jen thompson she's been benching that way probably her whole life uh she's been you know the best in the world for over a decade uh, so she has an enormous amount of experience in that position she definitely does not have weak pecs but if you're trying to mimic that wide hand position and you do not have strong chest muscles, you might see then that your upper arm bones do try to tuck inward and it kind of leaves you in this weird pterodactyl kind of position. Um, and what that means is basically your elbows are kind of, if you were sitting in a chair, which you're probably more so sitting right now than anything else, is if you mimicked your bench press position, if you rotated your elbows down towards the ground, it almost feels as though your hands are like flared out and you're flapping around like a pterodactyl. <laughs> um, that uh, position indicates either your hands are too wide, so you got to bring them in and let your triceps have the, the workload, or that your chest is weak. Now, for her, it's going to be a combination of both. We want to bring the hands in a little bit, we want to strengthen the chest a lot, and we're going to kind of, kind of mix and match and find that middle position. I don't want her to bring her hands all the way in to match the upper arm angle to what her triceps like because then her bench range of motion is going to be like 17 feet because <laughs> she has really long arms. So instead, we're going to kind of blend the two. We're going to bring her hands in. I told her bring her hands in about width of two fingers. So that's about one inch. And then we're going to be doing an enormous amount of chest work. So we're going to work on chest and triceps. She has very good stabilization and positioning. We don't need any lat awareness or anything like that. Uh, one of the things she's going to worry about or focus on is pec minor tightness. Her pecs are going to be pretty tight since we're going to start working on them. So I gave her drills on how to open those up. Now, if we look at her bench workout, how did we account for her technique in that workout? So the movement prep circuit, we have quadruped scapular retractions, which is really good for uh, kind of prepping the mind-muscle connection with squeezing the shoulder blades together for proper stabilization in the bench press. And it helps kind of start to push some blood flow into uh, the pecs and kind of start opening up those tissues. We have bodyweight glute crossover lifts. 
these are great. It's like a quadricep, quadruped position and a little bit of glute work uh, because it's going to help her brace a neutral spine. A little bit of core bracing, a little bit of hip warm-up. It helps to activate her glutes a little bit, meaning she's going to start to feel them. They're going to burn a little bit. She's going to get a little bit of a mind-muscle connection developed for that day so she can better, better feel her leg pressure when she's bench pressing. And then I have her doing push-ups alternating with thoracic swimmers. And this is just a great way to get some blood flow started into the shoulders, uh, but start to open up the uh, pec muscles and get a good overall balance and openness of the shoulders. I want her front side and back side of the shoulders to feel balanced so she's nice and neutral in her shoulder positioning as she goes into the bench press, I don't want her shoulders to be pulled and rounded forward and inward, which would happen with tight pecs. Uh, so that movement prep is going to work, warm her up that way. Then for her main work, I have paired with the bench press, we have glute bridge march with her shoulders on the bench. This is awesome for learning how to maintain uh, leg pressure and hip positioning. So then when you go into the bench, it feels like that's kind of second nature. So the bench work, same thing we're going to do with pauses. So that way... We can, she can feel if she actually brings the bar down, if she starts to over internally rotate her upper arms and get that pterodactyl work, she can kind of, kind of feel that, correct that and, uh, before she starts back up. Now, the accessories that we're doing. I have her doing bench press reverse bands. So reverse band and bench press. This is going to be awesome for just a major overload into all of this shoulder structure tissues, into the triceps, and it's going to help kind of develop that initial start as she unracks the bar and then bends her elbows to start to bring the bar down. She has to commit to exposing the chest. Now, the, the bands, as she lowers down, are going to reduce some of that stress tension, so it's going to keep the chest safe. But I want her to get used to exposing the chest as she lowers down, so that way, over time, as we grow them, sure, her technique will, will match the growth of those chest muscles. Uh, so that way, as she gets stronger, she's already in the position to learn how to use them. We don't have to do that in parts. We don't have to get the chest strong, then fix the technique. It's going to fix the technique and get the chest strong at the same time. So, so great work there. Then I'm repairing that with uh, chest-supported rows. And that's just great for um, developing balance in the upper back muscles to balance all the pushing work that we're doing in the front side of the shoulders. And then also it's a nice strict uh, type of row that mimics how you need to squeeze your back during a bench press. So very good mind-muscle connection and joint balance there. And then we finish with uh, thumbs-in dumbbell chest flies. And that's going to really target that outer connection at the uh, pec into the upper arm bone so that way we can really start to build that tissue up. So that was an example of how we modified the bench workout to match the feedback that I gave her on uh, her bench press. Now we did the same thing with the deadlifts but I think we got the point now so this podcast is already getting kind of long. Um, but deadlifts she actually had um, she has a good what's noteworthy about deadlifts she had good technique for sumo but Aesthetically, the sumo deadlifts, given the limb length she has, are going to disproportionately grow the upper outer glutes. So she's going to have a very wide and thick upper outer glute, but she's not going to have good like density, like thickness to the glute itself. So the glutes won't look as rounded from the side as she would want. They're going to look very thick 
from the back, if you're viewing them straight from behind, she's going to have thickness on the upper outer of her glutes, but she's going to have flat glutes. Aesthetically, I don't think any girl likes that. Uh, at least I've not had a, any female tell me that that's the look they wanted. Uh, that's usually a look that we try to correct and fix. So I told her was, is although your sumo deadlift looks good, uh, it doesn't it doesn't address the weaknesses that we do see in the squats, and it doesn't grow your glutes the way that you would want. So if we switch to conventional deadlift, since she does actually look pretty good in conventional deadlift as well, uh, some people's their body mechanics, like one lift is great and the other one's awful. Uh, she's one of those people where both lifts actually look pretty okay. Um, the conventional deadlift, due to the narrow stance, it's going to expose the hips more because the hips are going to, have to be further away from the barbell. Uh, during the lift, but in a good way that exposes the same weaknesses that she has in squats and it helps to develop a better rounded glute. So she's going to like the aesthetic development that she'll get from conventional deadlifts more than sumo and anything she does for her conventional deadlift will also benefit her squat strength. So since her current strength level, she's actually pretty damn strong. She can deadlift over 300, almost squat 300, uh, benches I think like 160, pretty good, uh, somewhere in there. Um, so very good strength levels and what's interesting about those strength levels is we can do the squat workout on monday and those tissues will actually kind of be ready to go by thursday or friday so rather than us doing sumo and only stimulating the weaknesses that we see in squats once a week why don't we do conventional deadlifts so that way we can stimulate those same weaknesses twice a week. And that better matches the recovery capacity and the recovery frequency of those tissues. So every single week, she's going to be getting two stimulus for those muscles rather than just one. So in the span of, say, 16 weeks, she's going to get 32 stimulus rather than 16. So she's going to be able to make much faster progress by actually training the lift that feels a little bit weaker and more exposed. It sounds crazy, but this has been proven time and time again when I've done it with other clients, is why not maximize that when we train, we're training to get stronger, not just to be strong on that day. She doesn't care how much she deadlifts on a random workout. She wants to deadlift really good when she wants to test her deadlift. So at that time, maybe we'll test in sumo or, you know, we'll decrease the frequency of the conventional and the sumos, make sure uh, the, the conventional and the squats, make sure she's peaked and ready to go. But in regular training, when you're just training to get stronger, it's better for her to train the weaker lift so that way she can get greater overall improvement in both lifts, the squat and the deadlift. So this is actually going to be a huge benefit to her to train her conventional deadlift mechanics rather than the sumo deadlift mechanics. So I thought that was neat to notice is not only is she going to get better strength development long term, she's also going to get way better aesthetic development, which she'll be very happy about. So I thought it would be fun to discuss this in today's podcast, how the individual movement mechanics of someone, what I was able to see in her videos helped me then know what accessories to use in her programming and even just how to structure the programming better itself. So I thought that was fun. Maybe there's some things you could take away from that for yourself. If you have any questions or if you need anything, just shoot me an email. My email is brutalironjim at gmail.com. If you're ever interested in a consultation like she's done or any kind of other coaching services, we have all of our services on our website, www.brutalironjim.com. Awesome. Okay. 
Hopefully that was helpful. If you like the podcast, please share the podcast. If you like the podcast, please consider donating to support the podcast, which you can do on our website. Also, if you like the information we share in the podcast, you can find more from us on our social media channels. You can find us and follow us on Instagram and YouTube under the name Brutal Iron Jim. As always, I hope this was helpful, and thank you for listening.